Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, this is Richard Christie, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Glenn Tibner from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, everyone. This is K.K. Downing of Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal, so you know what to do. Hi, this is Ian Hill from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Everybody, this is Rob Halford, the Metal God from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. I am Dan Lorenzo from the Cursed Hades Nonfiction and Who Knows What Else, and I love the show Talking Metal, which is what you are listening to right now. Hello, this is Tony Iommi, and you're listening to Talking Metal. What's up, Robin X? This is Billy Milano from SOD and MOD, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne, and you're listening to Talking Metal. <laughs> yes, yeah, Jim Brewer, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Vince You're rocking with Talking Metal. Fucking it. Everybody, this is Gilby Clark, and we're Talking Metal. Hi, this is Hank Up from Children of Bodom, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey there, this is uh, Ingve Malmsteen. You're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to the best Talking Metal. Hey, this is Sal, the stockbroker from The Howard Stern Show, and you're listening to Talking Metal. The best hard rock, the best heavy metal, Talking Metal, a podcast hosted by Mark Striegel and John Astronomy, available through iTunes and most other podcast providers. Feel the power, feel the glory, TalkingMetal.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Talking Metal. Today's guest is Mr. Richard Christie, an extremely funny guy. Most of you guys know that about Richard, but also an incredibly talented drummer. He will be joining us in just a few minutes. We met up with him earlier in the week at a Chinese restaurant for lunch in Midtown Manhattan and uh, did an audio interview with him. Actually shot it on my, my Mac laptop, too. I don't know if we'll ever post that video, but maybe someday... It will appear on YouTube.com slash Talking Metal. In the meantime, if you go to YouTube.com slash Talking Metal, you can check out clips of Richard jamming Slayer, South of Heaven, with John and I. And you can also check out a little interview clip of him that we did about a year ago. And what else? And hopefully soon we're going to have a clip of us jamming I Want to Rock with Richard and Eddie Ojeda from Twisted Sister. Hopefully that'll be up on YouTube.com slash Talking Metal real soon. Oh, also a clip of us jamming Paranoid, the Black Sabbath uh, classic with Richard. So definitely check that out. Check us out on TalkingMetal.com, 
And we'll have uh, links up in today's show notes to all things Richard Christie, including his website. Be sure to check Richard Christie out on Howard TV. He has a show called Inside the Porn Actors Studio. And let me tell you, Howard was playing a clip of this the other day on his uh, morning radio show. I was in the office listening to it on the headphones, laughing out loud. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a great, great episode. Again, Richard Christie inside the Porn Actors Studio on Howard TV. Go get that. Go watch that. Go subscribe to that today. Howard TV, Richard Christie inside the Porn Actors Studio. And uh, again, just so psyched to have Richard on the show. We uh, had lunch at the Pearl, Pearl Chinese restaurant, some good sesame chicken going down at the pearl so anyways let's get into this uh, right now with richard christie we'll start off with a little of his music this is majestic loincloth music it comes from uh, i guess the soundtrack to his movie majestic loincloth you can learn all about that movie on richardchristie.com that'll be linked through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com you can also buy this track support richard by going to talkingmetal.com Click on Buy Majestic Loincloth on iTunes. Click on that link. It'll open up your iTunes, take you directly to the page where you can buy uh, music from Majestic Loincloth. That is uh, Richard's movie, and he also does the music. Uh, he's done a ton of great music through the years with bands like Iced Earth and Death. We're going to talk about all that. Richard has some great stuff uh, here that he when he talks about Chuck and, and death and stuff. Uh, some, some great stuff going down in this interview. So I hope you enjoy it. This focuses more on Richard's music than his, his comedy stuff. Uh, you guys all know Richard is an, a hysterically funny guy. He's out on tour doing comedy with Sal. So when he rolls through your town, definitely check him out. Those dates are up on richardchristie.com. And you can always hear Richard doing the funny prank phone calls and talking with Howard on Howard 100 and Howard 101 on Sirius Satellite Radio. I've been a subscriber for a few years now, been listening to Howard since 1987, and uh, man, it's uh, it's always... You know, I never get tired of Howard is what I'm trying to say. It's uh, it's always a thrill for me to tune in to him. It's funny because when he first went to Satellite, I didn't get it for a full year. And it was like the first year in, in, in you know, 16, 17 years that I hadn't been listening to Howard. And I really missed him for that year. And then I, I picked up again uh, with him and have been subscribing now for, I think, almost two years to Sirius Satellite Radio. Actually, not quite two years, a year and a half to Sirius Satellite. So uh, that's it. Here's some music from Majestic Loincloth, Richard Christie music, followed by Richard Christie, the interview, the talking metal interview. Yeah. 
John Astronomy. I'm here with Mark Striegel and our very special guest, Richard Christie. Guys, check on in with us at TalkingMetal.com for today's show notes. We're going to have pictures up, links to where you can buy all the music heard in today's show. And we are very honored because we have the one and only Richard Christie, known for his work with Death, Iced Earth, as well as Howard Stern. Richard, how are you? I'm good. Getting ready to uh, be interviewed and enjoy some good Chinese food. Yes, we are here at the Pearl Restaurant in Midtown Manhattan. Absolutely. I ordered the uh, chicken with mixed vegetables. Uh, you got chicken and broccoli, and Mark's sesame chicken just arrived. Cool. Now, Richard. This could, be, this could also be called Talking Chinese Food. Talking Chinese Food, yeah. Your new podcast. We're, we're going to open that one up on iTunes next, Talking <laughs> Chinese Food. It's going to be a, a cooking show. <laughs> Very good. So let's start off with the music. Richard, when did you first start playing drums, and who are some of your early influences that uh, you know turned you on to the drum? I was lucky enough to be born in 1974, so when I was starting to get into music at about the age of six or seven, it was really the heyday for heavy metal. So I was introduced at first to Kiss by my aunt, who was a big Kiss fan, when I was five or six years old, I think for my sixth birthday, I got Kiss Alive and the Peter Chris solo album. And I immediately was drawn to the drums because I thought Peter Chris was awesome. And from then on, I had a neighbor, this guy Larry Bierbauer, who lived next to me. Uh, he moved in next to me when I was about eight years old, and he was into metal, and he introduced me to Iron Maiden. So. From about the age of 9 or 10, I started getting into really getting an Iron Maiden and some of the heavier stuff. And then I was 10 years old when Hot for Teacher came out, 1984. And that, coincidentally, that was the year that they also started offering band class at school. And pretty much everybody in my class wanted to play the drums. And because that was, you know, the cool instrument. Nobody wanted to play flute or clarinet as much, especially the guys. So luckily, they only choose, out of about 30 people in my class in Kansas, they chose four or five drummers, and they made you audition. Even though we were 10 years old, we still had to prove that we had rhythm so that, because everybody wanted to be a drummer. And luckily, I had a little bit of rhythm because I would bang on pots and pans when I was a kid on, on the farm and things like that. So uh, really, I would say Hot for Teacher and the drum Part in the beginning of that is kind of what inspired me. I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, I really would love to be able to do that and I want to be a drummer. And that was the same year I started in band class at Uniontown Elementary in Uniontown, Kansas. And from then on, I, I that was what I wanted to do with my life was to be a drummer and play in a metal band. Cool. Now, you are known for having amazing technique on the drums. And, and I know that only comes from hours and hours of practicing now did you immediately start just practicing the drums for hours on end each day and every day 
Yeah, well, uh, and thank you for the kind words, by the way. But, yeah, actually, you know, the rumor is true. There's not much to do in Kansas. Uh, if you're not a farmer or you're not into the rodeo, then there's not much else to do except play the drums. So, fortunately, I spent hours and hours starting at about age 10 or 11 just playing the drums. I just loved it. I would practice to my cassette tapes you know, playing, learning the beat from Come On, Feel the Noise, and, you know, from there I got into the more complicated stuff. It was when thrash metal was big. I got into Metallica when I was about 12 years old, and King Diamond, and Mickey D, and drummers like that, and I would just spend hours and hours, and my parents were so cool. They they didn't mind the noise. Um, they'd let me practice as many hours as I wanted. They were just happy I was doing something that I loved and, and I wasn't out, you know, rebel rousing. So I, I was growing up in Kansas. It's, it's cool because I, I was able to focus a lot on playing the drums and there's no other, there were no other houses around. We were in a farmhouse, so noise was never a problem there. And how many hours are we talking? Would it like three, four hours after school? Well, yeah, usually about two hours after school. And then as I got to really get into it more in high school and after high school, it got to be about three hours a day. And then once I got into a band, it'd be about three hours by myself and then two or three hours with the band. So it became a, you know, just a huge part of my life. And that was about all I did from the ages of 10 until 30 was just play the you know, focus on practicing the drums. Now, Richard, it's very interesting that Hot for Teacher was one of the first songs that you mentioned that inspired you because that song is known to start out with a really amazing double bass figure by Alex Van Halen. And listening to your work and also having the, you know, honor and opportunity of jamming with you, I noticed that not only is your right foot tight, but your left foot can do... Just about more than most people's left hands can even do if you're a right-handed drummer. So tell me, how did you approach the double bass playing? Because I'm a drummer, and I can play your basic double bass beat, but I definitely am not as proficient on double bass as you. And some of the stuff, I mean, in, like, Bite the Pain, and, I mean, even the painkiller, uh, you know, your cover from The Sound of Perseverance, you know, there's, there's constant double bass through the entire song. Well, thank you very much, and... A lot of that was, I, again, I have to thank my parents. When I was 12 years old for my birthday, they bought me an instructional drumming video. I think I was about 12, probably maybe 13 years old, an instructional video called Solo Drums by Terry Bozio. Wow. And he talked about playing kind of an open-handed technique and working a lot on your left hand and, and treating every limb as... Uh, as a different kind of, you know, making sure that you build up every limb equally and being independent. He was, I mean, he's just an incredible drummer. And so that really helped me, and it taught me that I should focus as much, even though I'm right-handed, it taught me to focus on my left side of the body even more so that I could build it up because being right-handed, already my right hand and my right foot were a lot faster than my left hand. And so I would work a lot on stuff where I would just set my right foot off to the side and only play songs with my left foot. You know, even when I had a single bass drum kit, I would just use my left foot on the kick drum and I would also play open-handed. I, w I would try to 
not to cross my hands like the right hand on the hi-hat, left hand on the snare drum. I would try to lead with my left hand, even though it felt really unnatural and I couldn't do it as good, I would do that just to build up my the left side of my body. And I, I kind of focus mentally on trying to build that up even more than the right side of my body. And also, from a pretty young age, I started working with ankle weights. I think it was my band teacher in high school... I was probably about 14 when I started really focusing on double bass and using ankle weights, and that really helped too. And a lot of times I would just put an ankle weight on my left foot to kind of just work on that, and I I would also practice with marching sticks and things like that to really build up my stamina and and the speed. Stamina is another question that I had for you. Now, say, for example, you can get through one of these tunes in the studio when you're recording. That's one thing, and that's totally tough but what is even tougher is doing an entire concert and getting through it and having enough stamina not to burn yourself out at the beginning now how do you approach that and how did you do it back in the day well i looked at it like almost like running a marathon or a race i never drank before i played i would warm up really good for about an hour before I played a show, I would jump rope, do push-ups, and kind of treat it like it was a um, a sport almost. Because it really is. Drum, metal drumming is like a sport. And stamina is part of it. You don't want to get winded or run out of um, speed halfway through a show. And luckily, I never really had much trouble because I was in really good shape. I can't say I'm in great shape, as good a shape now because I'm getting older, but... You know, at the time when I would tour with Death and Iced Earth, I was in really, really good shape. I took care of myself. I tried to eat healthy when I when I was on the road, and I I, I really treated it like a sport. And the only problems I, I never had problems with stamina. Really, the only problems I ever had that I remember was my right bicep would tense up sometimes playing, and that was something that I never could figure out why I, i've talked to other drummers and that have had the same problem and i think it was just something a matter of that part of your body is hard to get warmed up by just practicing before a show and until you get up there and you're playing at full intensity with a band you can't there's certain muscles you can't warm up and i think that was one of my right bicep just because it, you know the music i was playing was so intense it would really my arms would just get amazingly sore. But after a couple songs, it was fine. So, You know, it's weird because I've had a, a, an issue on stage before with my right calf tensing up a little bit. And it's odd because I'm right-handed and that's my stronger, you know, foot. But for some reason that happened. So it's kind of weird. Cool. You want to take a couple bites here? Uh, sure. I, I can, we can keep going. Cool. Kind of moving ahead in your career, Richard getting into the band Death. Can you talk about how you ended up in this band that had really already kind of changed metal history, if you will? You joined them later in their career, obviously, and let's talk about how you uh, got into Death and what it was like meeting Chuck. Well, I first heard Death when I was in high school. I think I was a junior in high school in Kansas, and a buddy of mine had a cassette tape of Spiritual Healing, and at the time, that was I had never heard anything that heavy. 
I think it came out right around the same time when Morbid Angel's Altars of Madness came out, and those two albums really just blew me away because they were heavier than anything I had heard at the time, and especially the drumming was just so intense, and I, I didn't, it didn't even sound humanly possi- possible to me at the time that a drummer could play like that. And But also the thing about Death was their music was super heavy but also catchy. I loved the real melodic riffs, and you could tell Chuck was influenced by Iron Maiden and classic metal bands, and that really showed in the music. So I became a huge fan after hearing Spiritual Healing. And then the album Human came out, and the guys from Cynic played on that album and they're incredible musicians and I was floored. I that was that's probably still my favorite death metal album of all time and, and definitely one of my favorite metal albums of all time is the human album by Death and I when I heard Sean Reiner play the way he played on that, it I just practiced to that album every day and was a huge fan of it because it was super heavy, the drumming was killer, the vocals everything it was the perfect death metal album i thought and but it was also catchy you could almost sing along to it which i love you know death metal can also be catchy a lot of people that aren't into death metal would never think that but i love when a death metal song can stick in your head and it's memorable and that was a great thing about death and so i was a huge fan i loved uh you know, all the albums he put out with Gene Hoglund playing drums, too. I was a huge fan of Gene's from the Dark Angel days. So, you know, when I heard Individual Thought Patterns and then uh, and then Symbolic, I was blown away, especially on the song Symbolic. There's some ride cymbal patterns that Gene does that just when I heard it, I was like, how did he think of that? It's the craziest thing ever. And it actually took me a long time to learn how to do that when I joined the band Death. And... So I decided I was living in Missouri from Kansas. When I turned 18, I joined a band called Public Assassin, this death metal band that I was a huge fan of in Missouri, uh, Springfield, Missouri, about three hours away from where I grew up. And I ended up getting to join that band, which I was a fan of because I had one of their demos from back in the tape trading days in the late 80s, early 90s. And so I lived in Missouri for three years playing with that band, then we broke up, and, and me and another guy from Public Assassin formed a band called Burning Inside, and we kind of did all the shows that we could do in the Midwest. We played with what is now the Slipknot guys, like we played with them in Des Moines back when they were in bands like Modifidius and Body Pit and uh, Incarnated, like all them guys' bands. We'd stay at their houses in Des Moines. We'd go to Wichita, Kansas, play with Dead Orchestra, go to Oklahoma City and play with Pitbulls on crack and lead pipe, all the you know, all the bands that were in the Midwest and we, we kinda played all the gigs that we could and took it as far as we could in the Midwest and we, at the at the time the Florida scene was really big and so we decided to move to Florida in nineteen January of nineteen ninety six. And we were trying to figure out should we move to Tampa or Orlando? And I remember thinking, wow, you know, Death is based in Orlando. I'd really love to move to Orlando and get to meet the great Chuck Schuldiner, who was one of my idols. And so we decided to move to Orlando because our guitar player at the time had an apartment there, too. So we all got to stay with him. And sure enough, a couple months later, I ran into Chuck at a B. Dalton bookstore at the Altamont Mall in Altamont Springs, Florida. And 
me and the guitar player from Burning Inside, we were freaking out. It was like meeting our idol, and we were really super nervous to talk to him. We didn't want to bother him because he's reading a, a magazine about recording studios, like a recording magazine. And we finally went up and said something, just like, hey, Chuck, we're huge fans. And he was so nice, so humble, and we ended up talking to Chuck for a long time, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes about metal. And then I started to run into Chuck at different metal parties. Like the scene, even in a pretty big town like Orlando, the metal scene, everybody gets to know each other. And so a lot of Chuck's friends became my friends. And then I started seeing Chuck at metal parties and shows and things. And word got around that I was a drummer. And then when he was looking for a drummer, a friend of mine was a guitar player in a band called Wicked Ways. And also the singer from Wicked Ways were really good friends with Chuck. And they said to Chuck, hey, you should let this guy Richard audition for death. He's a big fan and he's also a drummer. So I went and brought my drums to Chuck's rehearsal space. And I was so nervous. I was like freaking out. And But I knew the songs like the back of my hand because I had been playing along to death songs since I was 18 years old, since about 1992 or so. And we, I think we jammed through about four or five songs in the audition. It was about three songs from Human. I think we played Flattening of Emotions, Lack of Comprehension, um, Together as One. And then I think we did a song off Individual Thought Patterns. And, and afterwards, Chuck just looked at me. He was like, man, that felt great. That was awesome. And so right then, I, I was like, wow, I can't believe... And even then, it wasn't for sure. He told me a few days later that I was definitely in the band. But just, I would have been happy with even jamming with Chuck one time, you know, doing, playing, some, playing my favorite songs with one of my idols. That was the coolest thing. And then, fortunately, I got the gig and got to play in my favorite metal band. So That is great. And I had a question. Now, at that time... When did Chuck start the Control Denied project? Because I know that that initially started before the Sound of Perseverance. Yeah, actually, he was when right before I joined the band, he was doing Control Denied, and the drummer from Control Denied uh, was not in the band anymore. And then I joined the band, and Chuck knew I was a huge Death fan, and. I, I don't know what it exactly was that made him go back to do a death album before doing a Control Denied album. I think it might have been that the record company wanted him to do another death album because he had just signed a Nuclear Blast and they were a new label for the band. And I think it might have been that they wanted another death album. And then we did a Control Denied album after that. So I'm not exactly sure what, what it was that made him go back and do a death album um a lot of it might have been too that some of the people in control denied might not have been available at the time because i know he had tim amar singing and uh i don't know if it was a scheduling thing where it was just easier for him to do death at the time but um i was psyched because i was a huge death fan and i'm a huge control denied fan too but you know, I always loved Chuck's vocals, and it was cool when he said, yeah, I'm going to do a death album next. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That is very cool. Now, there was a little bit of um, 
differing opinions online about whether any control denied stuff wound up on the sound of perseverance were there any songs that were initially intended for the fragile art of existence that wound up on sound of perseverance yeah actually i think there were because i know chuck had some control denied demos that some of the songs wound up being on the death album i think bite the pain was one that was going to be a control denied song um yeah, I think maybe there were two or three because there were there were two or three songs on the Death album that had already kind of had the drum parts worked out, where the they Chuck had demoed them with the other drummer, and so he kind of had an idea of where he want what he wanted the drums to be on those, and I was still able. Chuck was so so easy to work with and such a nice guy that he let me do what I, pretty much what I wanted with the drums on the songs, but there were about two or three songs where I remember I wanted to keep them kind of the way they had them because I know Chuck was happy with the drums on the the demos that they had before I was in the band. But then it pretty much, I would say, two or three songs that were already demoed and then the rest was all new. Now, you guys, after you did The Sound of Perseverance and then you did the Control Denied record, Death released two live albums, but albums that were taped earlier, probably back around 98 or so. Now, were you guys constantly taping on the road? No, and it's a funny story about those albums, especially the one, the Live in L.A. album, which I was sick with the flu when we recorded that um, that album and that DVD, but we were only recorded that and intended to only record that just for ourselves, to have a cool video because what what happened is the whiskey used to have a resident video guy where if you paid him 75 bucks he'd give you a video of your show so basically live in LA is just a video that any band at the whiskey could have gotten at the time and we paid the 75 bucks and that's probably the cheapest DVD live DVD ever made and you know the sound was right from the board there was no remixing no sweetening of anything on that or the live in Eindhoven and they were just recordings that we kind of had for ourselves. that the record company you know they they I guess they figured that death had never had any live official live releases that they ended up wanting to put out that's great now did the proceeds for the live in LA go to help support some of Chuck's medical expenses yeah yeah that was one of the reasons that they were released too to, to help out Chuck and Chuck's family, um, you know, when he became sick. And uh, and I know Chuck was really proud of those recordings, too, especially the live in Eindhoven, because that was such a huge crowd. And that was only about my second or third show with death, and I was so nervous. And that was at the Dynamo Festival. There were about 40,000 people there. And I remember Phil from Pantera was sitting right behind me, air drumming, for the whole set because we played right before Pantera and so I know that Chuck was really excited about that show and about that recording and um, you know so I'm, I'm real happy that those were, were re- released and kind of captures a, a moment in time and, and a, you know the, pretty much one of the best times in my life and I have some great memories of those shows you know hanging out at the Dynamo afterwards I get to hang out with uh, Dimebag Daryl and 
and meet all the Pantera guys after we played Dynamo, and that was a really cool thing for me. And I remember Pantera had one of their roadies was from Kansas, which is where I'm from. And I was freaking out that here I was, you know, drinking beer with this guy from Kansas my first time in Europe. And it was really cool to get to talk about being back home in Kansas with somebody while I'm thousands of miles away. So I have some great memories of those live DVDs, and I'm really glad that they were released. Cool. Well, let's right now get into some of the music that you did with Death. This is called To Forgive Is To Suffer. And we'll let Richard take a few bites of his meal, which is probably getting cold at this point, and then come back and talk some more metal with him.
What you just heard was death off the sound of perseverance. That is, to forgive is to suffer. And you can buy that by going to TalkingMetal.com, clicking on the link in today's show notes. It will open up your iTunes and take you directly to that track. So, here is John. Hey, Richard. So, I wanted to ask you one one last question about death. And um, I don't want to bring anything down, but I, I want to... Acknowledge that Chuck was so into his music and he cared so much about it that even when he was sick and he was going through treatments, he was still recording and working on writing new tunes for Control Denied. And just tell, tell me about your experience with him and do you think we'll ever get to hear all of the stuff that you guys were working on? Well, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when, when Chuck was sick, that was therapy to him was playing his music and he loved it he loved no matter how ill he was he always wanted to play his music and that second control denied album all the demos and and a lot of it was done while he was recovering from his illness and it just it made him so happy to play music and to play his guitar and it was really inspiring to see to see that and, you know, Chuck was the nicest guy in the world. And to see somebody go through something like that, it was so sad. And, um, you know, it, it's amazing that there, he's still here with his music. You know, I listen to Chuck's music every day, and it's almost like he's still here through his music. And he, I was really, you know, as a person, inspired by him. He was my best friend, and he... He was just had such a positive outlook on life and just such a nice guy and down to earth and real humble. Was always excited when a fan would come up to him and and was he was a fan of metal himself too. I remember Chuck and I got to meet King Diamond uh, back in the year 2000 and we were both like little kids freaking out that we were going to get to meet King Diamond for the first time. And so, you know, I love. As much as I can, I love telling people about Chuck and talking about Chuck and talking about his music. And I know one of Chuck's last wishes was that that second Control Denied album would come out. And we, the Chuck's parts have been recorded. The drums have been recorded back in, I think it was 2000. Uh, we recorded December of 2000, we did that. And there was a lot of legal stuff going on for a long time. And I still don't fully understand all the legal things that happened and what went on, so I can't really comment on that. But as far as I know, I think the album is ready to be finished, and and, and you know we're definitely going to finish the album. It just it's a it's a whole process of making sure that legally everything's taken care of with the record label that. Uh, had signed, you know, that Chuck was signed to at the time, and and just making sure every all the musicians that the other musicians that still need to record, make sure that we can that they can find the time to to record the rest of the parts. But it's going to be amazing. That's all I can say is once it comes out, the second controlled an item, it'll definitely be a fitting tribute to Chuck because it's a awesome album. I remember jamming on the demos with Chuck and even recording in Morrison the drum parts and just freaking out on how cool the music was and we were so excited about it and there's so many 
you know, great songs. It's real melodic, and, and so that's one of my goals is to make sure that album definitely does see the light of day. I'm, that's something I would never give up on, you know, because I know that Chuck would want that album to be released and would want... His main thing is he just loved that people were able to listen to his music. It really, it really made Chuck so happy that people in Europe or South America, no matter, all over the world would be able to listen to his music that he created. And so I definitely want to make sure that people can hear the, the last music that, that Chuck was able to create. Perfect. That's great, man. I can't wait as well. Tell us about getting hooked up with uh, John Schaefer and Iced Earth. Uh, was there an audition that went down? And, and when, in relation to death, did Iced Earth uh, start up? Well, Iced Earth was... I got that gig through Jim Morris, who works at Morris Sound Studios, who's a producer, who produced uh, a lot of the death albums and also worked with Iced Earth. And also my buddy Andrew Sample, who used to be... Uh, work for Century Media Records, and which was Ice Earth's old label. And I was a big Ice Earth fan too. I love Ice Earth. Like something wicked this way comes is one of my favorite favorite metal albums. And so I was just, you know, I heard that they were looking for a drummer, and I was actually somebody contacted me. I don't think it was John, but somebody had contacted me about possibly playing on the first Demons and Wizards album, which I wish I could have been able to um, because I love that album. And But they, I ended up not being able to, to work on that. But So Iced Earth was looking for a drummer. I think it was the year 2000, like January of 2000. And, you know, I just I contacted Jim Morris and got in touch with John and flew to Indiana audition for the band the first song we played i remember was violate which is a super hard song to play and i remember you know john is such an incredible guitar player he's so tight and precise i, I don't know that i've ever seen anybody play guitar that tight and he's so percussive in his guitar playing which i love it's fun as a drummer to play along with a, a guitar player that it's almost like playing along with another drummer and I remember playing Violate, and we just locked right in. And John, I remember John looking at me and, you know, banging his head and being really into it. And I think it was right after we played Violate together, just that short song, that he was like, man, that's killer. And I don't know if it was right then that I got the gig, but it was, you know, soon after that that he said, yeah, if you want to, you know, if it works out. I made sure everything worked out with the schedule with Chuck, because at the time we were getting ready to record Control Tonight, and I make sure... There were no conflicts as far as that was concerned. And uh, so I got the gig, and the first thing I did with John was the Demons and Wizards tour. I did that in June and July of 2000 in Europe, which is really one of the funnest tours I've ever been on in my life. It was, And I loved, when I heard the Demons and Wizards album, I was blown away. I loved that album. And so I was really excited to go out, and we played pretty much the whole album because it was their first album. We did that, and we did a cover of The Trooper and then a cover of Hell's Bells live. And the tour was a blast because it was a festival tour, so we only played on the weekends, and during the week we had off. So it was like this amazing metal vacation where I got to go to Europe and 
during the week we'd either go to the beach or we'd rehearse too if we needed to if we felt there were some songs that we weren't tied on we'd get together and rehearse over in europe but for the most part we'd go and race go-karts during the week and it was just such a blast and i had such a great time you know hanging out with john and hansi and and richie and oliver all the guys that played in demons and wizards at the time and and it, it was plus on top of that on the weekends we got to play these festival shows like gods and metal festival in italy in front of twenty thousand people so a lot of the shows were in front of tens of thousands of people and and so that was my first introduction in, into playing with John, and that was just so much fun. And then it was cool, the first Ice Earth show I ever did was the Vakken Festival in 2000, and that was in front of about 30,000 people, and that was the first time I ever did a show with Ice Earth. So that was very, very scary, but very awesome at the same time. Cool. And some of the, the last stuff you did with Ice Earth was uh, the Glorious Burden album, and that was with Ripper Owens, Tim Ripper Owens. Any memories of working with uh, Ripper? Oh, absolutely. He's like one of the funniest guys ever. He's so, like, really, really comical, funny guy and fun to tour with, a real nice guy. And every night just sounded perfect. Every night sounded like he was singing on the album. His, vocals were amazing same with matt barlow too that was the thing with iced earth you know they have they have had some of the greatest vocalists ever and it was um the those were the first band iced earth was pretty much the first band i was in where i was in a band with a real melodic vocalist and luckily I, i was with you know two of the greatest singers melodic singers of all time and same with tim amar from control denied unfortunately we never got to play live but just watching him sing in the studio i love those kind of vocals and then uh you know ripper owens he's just he's the man he's live just incredible you heard the stuff that he uh, did with engbe no i haven't got to hear it yet i i've heard the uh um you know his other stuff and i know he's doing a solo album and uh you know, I love the stuff he did with Priest, but I haven't got to check out the Ingve stuff yet. Cool. Well, I tell you what, let's get into some Iced Earth right now. This is a Kiss cover, Creatures of the Night, with Richard Christie on drums. And we'll come back and uh, wrap things up and talk about what Richard is up to nowadays.
That was Iced Earth with the Kiss cover of Creatures of the Night, one of my favorite songs of all time. The first song I ever saw Kiss play live. Wow, with uh, Eric Carr, the great, late, great Eric Carr, who was one of my favorite drummers. I really looked up to him when I was a kid. He had the biggest drum sets I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Eric was absolutely one of my all-time favorite drummers. Now, Richard, I want to kind of switch gears for a second and talk about some of the cool stuff you're doing with Howard Stern. And let me tell you, the first time I heard some of these calls, namely the multiple voices prank call, I was like busting out laughing in, a, in an area that I couldn't bust out laughing and people thought I was you know, having a seizure or something. That call is unbelievable. When you called New York One about the gas smell, that was <laughs> also hilarious. Where do you come up with this stuff? It's unbelievable. Thank you very much, John. I, uh, you know, I did a lot of the same stuff while I was on tour with all these bands. You know, like the Iced Earth guys, all the Death guys, all had great senses of humor, and we would always. Uh, I've, I have tapes of me as a little kid making prank calls and doing goofy stuff, and we would listen to tapes of that even on tour. And, and we were all big Jerky Boys fans. I'm a huge Jerky Boys fan. And I've just, growing up in Kansas, besides playing the drums, you you have to think of something to do to amuse yourself and have fun. So me and my buddy David Hickson would make prank calls every day after school. And little did I know that was job training for me, you know. Now I'm lucky enough to be able to do that for a living. And we would do pranks at school and things like that, and just weird things and and, and it continued even when I was on tour with bands. I'd, you know, I'd put on a thong or something and run around in Germany, like streak a beer garden or something, you know, just crazy stuff like that just for fun to amuse ourselves. And uh, luckily now I'm able to do that for a living. And it's just, it's a dream come true. It's, I've, you know, in addition to being a huge fan of metal, I've always been a huge fan of comedy. And I think comedy is like music it's very therapeutic and it can make you feel good when you're feeling down and it's something that you know i mean there are certain songs that you always remember when you first heard them and there's the same thing as comedy there's certain you know movies you all remember you always remember seeing when you're a kid or or just you know comedy albums like the old cheech and chong albums and stuff and uh so yeah, I just and I've been a huge fan of Saturday Night Live. I was a huge Steve Martin fan when I was a kid, so that really influenced me. And I'm just I'm lucky to be able to be a goofball now for a living. I love it. Yeah, I didn't even know that you were going to be in this, and this was after we had already uh, done Talking Metal together, and we jammed on a couple of great tunes. I was watching that Harold and Kumar two, and and then I saw you tell us about that. Oh well, that was a that was a blast. Uh, the um, John and Hayden, who directed the film, are really, really super cool guys, and they're fans of the Howard Stern Show, and they knew me from the listening to the Stern Show, and they knew what I was like and, and kind of my background, uh, being from Kansas, being having a Midwestern accent, and they had a part. They said that they kind of had in mind for me, and I didn't even have to audition. They flew me to Shreveport, Louisiana. And I had a blast. It was so much fun. That's something, you know, that's another thing I want to do more of as I get older is doing movies. Because it, it really is, I know why everybody wants to be an actor, because it's the greatest job. You just, 
it's a lot of waiting around, but once you're doing it, it's so much fun. You know, it's like playing pretend, and uh, it's like as an adult getting to play pretend, and I love it. And I was, I'm real honored to be in that movie because I was a huge fan of the first one. And, you know, for my parents to say that they went and saw it in Kansas, they went to a theater in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and saw me on the big screen, that was pretty amazing. I was blown away by that. So, yeah, I definitely hope to do more stuff like that. And I'm happy to be in, in that movie because, to me, they're kind of like the new Cheech and Chong, and I love those kind of movies. You know, that movie is right up my alley. Speaking of movies, Majestic Lion Cloth. This is something you shot a while ago that's going to surface on DVD, or is it already out? It's actually Majestic Loin Cloth. You're very close. <laughs> but I won't, I won't get on, you, on to you about a mispronouncing Loin Cloth. Not too many men say that word anyway. So, but uh, I, I don't even know what that is. A loin, a loin cloth, that's the, it's like a little shroud. It's probably the wrong word to use, but like a little piece of material that you put around your Tarzan type of thing okay well if you don't know what that is you must not be a big man of war fan then huh (laughs) they they wear loincloths on some of their album covers it's basically a fur thing that covers up your crotch you know I guess they probably wore them in the middle ages but a lot of you know you see them in a lot of middle age or yeah medieval type movies and stuff so could have been possibly made from a lion's fur. So that's where yeah, he got there that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we'll tie that in somehow. Uh, Very good. But, yeah, I, uh, I just put it up on YouTube. You can just do a search on YouTube under the words Majestic Loincloth or just search under my name, Richard Christie, or you can go to richardchristie.com. I have the movie up there. And it's basically don't expect much when you go watch it. It's... I've been doing movies myself, directing and acting in movies since I was about 15 years old. And I just love the art of making films and making something that you can show your friends to make them laugh. So basically what it is is just for the last 15 or so years, me and my buddies have been getting together on weekends and making these goofy movies. And that was what Majestic Loincloth is. It's a, I had an idea of I wanted to mix heavy metal and comedy and i wanted to mix make it kind of like a rock opera i made this when i lived in florida probably six years six or seven years ago i actually filmed it i'm just now putting it out because i've been kind of real crazy busy since then but it's just a goofy you know heavy metal comedy viking loincloth wearing rock opera that's basically the best way to describe it very cool well, we're just, we're just about out of time today, and I have so many more questions. I, I'm hopeful that maybe you'll come back on the show for, for part two at some point. But um, recently read Artie Lang's book, which was a, a great read for me. Uh, would you ever consider doing a book of your own? Um, it seems like you probably got a ton of stories. I probably do. I mean, it would depend on if there's interest in it. You know, if if I got to be well-known enough where there was a demand for it i would love to but it's also you know i maybe i'll write one one day just for myself something to to leave around to give to my family and my kids and stuff but uh yeah i have a lot of crazy stories from when i was young and luckily luckily i only smoked pot three or four times so i have a really good memory uh unless the beer kills any more of my memory but 
So, yeah, I remember, I, I have memories from when I was two or three years old growing up in Kansas, and uh, I would love to one of these days, hopefully. Cool, and I saw the YouTube clip of you introducing uh, Coheed and Cambria, which was, was pretty cool. I don't know if you know this, Rob Dukes, who's the singer of Exodus, his brother-in-law is in that band. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's his brother-in-law? Uh, don't know, but... <laughs> the guy with the, the real big hair? Claudio? Yeah, Claudio, right? Is Claudio his brother? Maybe. I'm not sure which guy it is. But why do you love that band so much? You know, it's something that you can't really describe. It's when you love a band, you just hear them and love the music. It, it's something where I just, the first time I heard them, I was like, wow, that's unlike anything I've heard before. And I, it just moved me. I love it. Their songs are really catchy, but also heavy. And I love Claudio's vocals. And... It's just something. I know it's not for everybody, but I, I'm happy for them that they have. They're getting really popular now, and they they've played Madison Square Garden twice. I've seen them both times, and, and it makes me really proud because I love seeing any band get more successful, and, and they're really good guys too. I've been lucky enough to become friends with them, um, and so I'm a fan of the music, but also they're great guys. So I love. I would love to see them get even more popular than they are but uh to me they just they're so original and they just but you know the the basic thing is 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 if a song sticks in my head the first time and i'm singing it the next day then i know i'm gonna like the song and like the band and that's how they are they're just so catchy that that i love singing along to their songs you recently caught Metallica, and you actually broke down at their show. Tell us about that. Why was it such an emotional moment for you? Well, and broke down's not a real metal way to describe it. I would say I got teared up a tiny bit uh, when, uh, no, I'm not embarrassed by anything. You could, uh, I could say I broke down. I cried when they played one just because it brings back a lot of really good memories and I remember the very first time I heard Injustice for All. It was with uh, my buddy Jason LaRue in Kansas. We were out camping, and he had the cassette, and me and him and a couple other friends of ours were just freaking out on how amazing that album was. And, and, you know, you think back to those times and all the good times that you had while listening to music, and and it brings back a lot of good memories. You know, I teared up from happiness, not from really being sad. But it is it is a sad song, too, so that was probably part of it. I can't probably describe exactly why I teared up, but it was kind of a combination of it being a sad song but also having a lot of good memories. You know, Metallica is a really huge band for me. I've been a fan of theirs since, you know, I was like 12 years old. And so the fact that they're still around and this newest tour, they played a lot of old stuff. And it was just, it was so cool and so inspiring too. When I saw them, I'm like, you know what? I got to get back out and do some music. And it's really inspired me to where I'm working on some new stuff and I'm going to record this year. And, you know, time permitting with my job that I have now, I'd love to go out and do a two week tour when we have a break and stuff like that. I'm really itching to get back out and play. So cool. Well, that's that's great. I mean, we uh, would love to. Uh play some music of us jamming with you we thank you for joining us on the fuse show uh, about a year ago i guess at this point richard came down and played three or four songs with us uh, talking metal toast with richard and how about a talking metal fortune cookie experience 
Let's see what Richard's fortune is here. Be sure that you guys uh, be sure to catch Rich. Be sure to catch Richard and Sale out on their comedy tour. You guys are about to go out on the road, right? Yeah, actually, you know, being on stage doing stand-up comedy, which is something that I'm still pretty fairly new at, considering that a lot of comedians do it for ten or fifteen years before they become good at it. I've been doing it since 2005. Um, but I love it. It gives you the same rush that, that being on stage with a band does, only it's a lot scarier because it's just you up there with a microphone. I don't get to hide behind a drum kit. But I love it, and uh, I'm going on a tour with Sal, the stockbroker, Governale, who I work with on the Howard Stern Show. We do, uh, me and him do about 30 minutes of stand-up comedy each. Uh, we have a couple great comedians that we bring out with us that, that do comedy before us. And then at the end of the show, we do have some special surprises. We do some songs and, you know, just some, some goofy stuff that the crowd always enjoys. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's almost like being out on tour with a band, but, you know, a little same, only different, I guess you could say. Cool. So tell us what your fortune is, and then we will ride out with South of Heaven. Uh, Byron from God Forbid... Metal Mike on guitar, John on bass, myself on guitar, and the great Richard Christie on drums. You're not going to believe this. This is the weirdest thing. It says, you will be on the Talking Metal podcast very soon. (laughs) How's that for a uh, transition? Very good. Thank you again. I didn't want to mention, but we had these cookies rigged before the dinner here. So anyway. (laughs) So anyway, right now. Thank you, Richard. We appreciate you coming down to hang with Talking Metal. Right now, this is South of Heaven by Richard Christie, Talking Metal, Metal Mike, and Byron Davis. Where it's on 